Hey everyone, this is DVM Divas Podcast. Today's hot topic is an article that came out on Minnesota Daily about what vet schools are actually doing to address the suicide rate in the veterinary profession. I will deliver our life hack for today or clinic, we'll see, while Anne delivers the mom when and Melissa goes for the mom fail. Join us as we go beyond the stethoscope. Welcome to DVM Divas Beyond the Stethoscope. It's no secret that the veterinary profession is dominated by women. In fact, we make up over 60% of the workforce, and that number just keeps growing. But it's not just the numbers that are growing. Our stress and frustration levels are climbing at exponential rates. Between social media challenges, public misconceptions, and the constant competition with Dr. Google, we're finding it harder and harder to be happy and fulfilled veterinary women. Because of this, depression and suicide rates are at all-time highs in our little corner of the world. And in order to help us combat these things, we need an outlet. We need a safe place where we can open up and discuss all of the issues that we are currently struggling with. So listen along as we, the DVM Divas, discuss our trials and our troubles, as well as celebrate our wins and accomplishments. And join us as we forever test the limits of what it means to be a badass woman in the veterinary industry. So, who are we? Well, I'm Melissa. I'm a Kansas State grad and have been practicing for nearly 20 years. I have a mixed animal practice with my husband and one other partner. And I'm a mom to three very busy kids. One in elementary, one in middle school, and one in high school. Hi, I'm Annie. I too am a wife and a mama and a veterinarian. I am a Washington State grad that has done a little bit of everything as far as veterinary medicine is concerned. I'm really excited to be here, share my story, and get to hear your stories as well. My name is Maria. I am a full-time small animal veterinarian and a full-time mom to two beautiful little boys. Currently, I am practicing on the East Coast after trying her luck on the Front Range in Colorado for a year. After missing our family and of course the delicious food and the beautiful ocean, we decided to come back to Jersey where we are finally home. Follow us on Instagram at DVMDivas. Like us on Facebook and join our group at DVMDivas Beyond the Stethoscope. Want to discuss something or interested in being a guest? Email us at admin at DVMDivas.com or comment on one of our social media profiles. We hope you will come along and leave your stethoscopes at work and join us. Laugh with us cry with us as we take this profession back from discontent. Grow with us as we remember why we ever wanted to be veterinarians in the first place. Hey ladies, how you doing today? Fantastic. Good. Good. So today we're discussing an article that came out in Minnesota Daily on October 9th, where they actually talked about how vet schools are actually trying to solve the suicide rate in the veterinary profession because they are seeing the mental health issues starting in vet school. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if anyone has actually read the article, but if you have not, we'll put it in our show notes so that way you can access it. Um, And you can always go on Minnesota Daily and find it yourself. So they talked about in the first year, just to have a buffer for people, there is a path fail rate. And I'm just going to highlight the big topics that they spoke about. Yeah, perfect. Um, So it's not like A, B, C, D. 
F. I almost said E there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's a pass-fail rate just for the first year. Um, They also are talking about fourth year, you're actually having established hours during clinics. So well, we'll get into that. Um, They're offering more scholarships to students to help with the debt. Um, They are also looking at that they're doing breaks now where they're doing every six hours, they're giving students or people in their clinical year 30 minutes to revitalize themselves. Okay. So Mm -hmm. um, as we all know that there is a high rate of suicide in veterinarians and we do know, and we do realize that it does stem from vet school. That's where the majority of it does build up or maybe you know, there's some, some people that, that do have it and other people develop it in practice. But what are your thoughts on this article? <laughs> <laughs> Melissa? <laughs> oh, where to start? Um, I get where they're coming from. Like, I, I totally get it. And I respect that they're making the effort. I think we need to be making more effort, definitely and for sure. Yes, we need to be having these conversations. But sometimes, I don't, oh gosh, vet school's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. But this is, all right, can we dive into this section by section? Yes, that's okay. probably the I, best way to do it. I think it. that's the best way to handle <laughs> yes. this thing. All yes. right, so a first-year pass-fail rate. Mm-hmm. My personal opinion, a C, you're still a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I see a lot of people that get Cs that are very good clinicians. Mm-hmm. They're just not test smart. Yeah. That doesn't mean they don't know it. It just means they're not good at solving the tricks the professors give us. So I think a pass fail rate should be throughout that school. Well, <laughs> one thing that I, as I was reading through a lot of the comments, this article generated a lot of comments in a lot of the social media groups um, in some of the schools. And I don't know if UMN is one of them, but, but it's, there are, there are several schools that are doing pass fail for part of the vet school curriculum, all of the vet school curriculum. And, and, and obviously you can probably weigh in since this was something that you personally experienced, but I, it sounds like there are some that even though they're pass fail, they're still ranking the students which to me is so counterproductive because it's almost worse because you could pass with an 83%, which is darn good and be 75th rank in your class out of a hundred. I don't think there should be a ranking. And so I feel like, okay, if you're going to go to pass fail, then it just needs to be pass fail. But on the flip side of that, and I can see where people are coming from also, if you are looking to do an internship or a residency in a competitive field, a competitive specialty, you know, like optho and, you know, I think exotics, you know, some of these that are really pretty competitive, pass fail doesn't help you at all. In fact, it could hurt you because your GPA may not look the same as somebody who did not go to one of these pass fail schools. But let me ask you a question about that. So if you're trying to get into a specialty, if you say I wanted to be an ophthalmologist and anybody who knows me knows I hate eyes. Okay. (laughs) Disgusting. But anyway, say I wanted to be an ophthalmologist. You cannot tell from my test scores that I would be the best ophthalmologist. Um, So I guess I'll, I'll take this second. So uh, WSU is a pass-fail school, um, or was, I'm assuming they still are, but we were ranked 
in our class, you know, like number one, number two, number three, number four, number whatever. And they did that because you needed your ranking for match mm-hmm. for residencies, internships, blah, 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 on and on and on. Right. It doesn't fix the problem. Nope. It doesn't change because we still had a GPA because that's how they ranked us. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't. Yeah. And I don't think that is a good basis for if you're going to even a stay in veterinary medicine, right. B be able to go on to your internship residency, whatever else, Mm -hmm. like grades alone are not great. And no. I was not top 10 in my class, <laughs> not top 50. <laughs> Dare I say I might have been bottom 10. But, but you are a good veterinarian. Mm-hmm. I'm a good GP. I can talk to people. Yeah. I have other mm-hmm. skills that don't come across on my small animal medicine exam. I think that's maybe what the administrative teams, I think that's what they were going for is that um, good veterinarians don't, and I say good, you know, like the ones who excel and succeed in private practice and that there is so much more to it than just grades. And I think maybe that's where this philosophy has stemmed from is like, all right, let's just do away with the grades because all we need to know is that you can sort of meet the, I don't want to say minimum criteria, but you know, what's deemed as your, what you need to be to medical knowledge. But I get that, but they're still not doing it. If you're still ranking everybody, then that's not accomplishing anything. You might as well give them grades if you're ranking yeah, them. I mean, because you know what? I would rather know that I had a B. Like to me, I'm happier with a B than being 75th out of 100 with a B. Mm-hmm. Like it'd be like, oh crap, I'm still like way behind everybody else versus just knowing, yeah, I got a B. I'm awesome. I'm great with a B. And so. Right. Well, and that's, they gave us, you were like, you got a letter if you were in a certain bottom percentage of the class. Hmm. Like there was a letter in your mailbox, but I'm like, okay, fine. So you get a letter, but really where are you in bottom 10% and you've got a B average? Forget mm-hmm. it. You're fine. Like, let's move on. Yeah. And that maybe they've done away with that now. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't. I think that if the pass sale thing was, because obviously, as you said, Anne, you know, it's for the match. I, so I think if the pass sale is actually going to take place, it should be across all that schools that are accredited yeah. and that it shouldn't matter about the match, about your ranking and stuff like that. It should matter on the interviews and, and they should have interviews. And honest, I've never been through the match, so I, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I think it's a, an initial criteria to kind of weed in, weed out. You yeah. know what I mean? You got to start somewhere. Yeah, which is kind of like getting into vet school, period. You know, you, you exactly. know you, you're never going to get rid of GPA as a screening. Mm-hmm. Like that's reality. I mean, you have mm-hmm. to, you do have to prove that you can play the game, which is, right. let's be honest, that's what, that's what most grades and standardized testing are. It's not really an evaluation of your, yes, it's your knowledge, but it's more just how well you regurgitate knowledge mm-hmm. and, and maybe some time management skills to be able to, mm-hmm. can you learn and can you meet the rigors of, you know, mm-hmm. playing the game right or wrong? But that, I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to. And I think if you're going to go to pass fail, there's no point in having a ranking. I think to me, that is just the, I'm sorry, that is the dumbest thing. If you still need to have that letter grade for your match, okay, then have the letter grade and have that be your, like, you know what your grade is. Why rank that compared to what everybody else is? Because that is just creating the same problem. 
Can I say one thing? Instead of ranking you, like if they have a pass-fail rate and that's what you see, so that way your grade doesn't stress you, don't give the ranking, but maybe keep the grades behind closed doors for when you're ready for match. Something like that. Because if they have to have it for match, at least then maybe, you know, it's not affecting your studying. It's not like, oh my God, I got to cram everything in or I can be relaxed and everything, you know, and you're always putting your best out there. But you don't want to find out your junior year that your grade was only a 75% and you, in your mind, you're like, oh no, I've got a 95. I'm doing awesome. Like, ah, uh, shit. <laughs> Especially when you're junior year taking everything large animal, I'd be happy yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I maybe there's a way that, yeah, just you know your grade. So you know, like where you're at, if you think that that's the track you're headed towards. But then it also kind of goes back to, and I don't know, I guess if you feel like you're going to, if you're going to go to the match and you have a specific specialty in mind, you probably should have that game plan kind of mapped out by no later than your sophomore year in vet school, you know, but yeah. I don't know. I guess I will. So I will give them props because I know for me, knowing that I was pass fail, knowing that I probably wasn't going to do an internship or a residency, like knowing I was going to go GP, rural med, like just knowing that I learned to balance life and vet school. I learned that my actually my best clinical pathology grade came the Monday after I had gone fishing with my husband. Well, he was my boyfriend at the time, but we went camping and fishing all weekend. I didn't have that much time to study, but I had a great weekend. I came back refreshed. My brain was ready to go. Best grade of vet school. And so I learned that balance in vet school, but I also went back to vet school later that's another story for another day. And I just did not want to work myself the way the other people were. Yeah. And I think there's so much to be said for that because I think maybe rather than just trying to retrain ourselves, maybe it is retraining ourselves, like rather than doing away with the current system, why don't we just start to recognize that it's okay if we get a B. It's okay if I'm not the top of my class. Like it goes back to just this mentality and this wellness mentality that why do we have to have an administrative declaration that says, no guys, don't stress about your, your grades. Like we have to be told don't stress about your grades rather than just teaching upcoming students. Like you're here. Don't stress about your grades. I don't know. Maybe I'm not verbalizing that like I want to, no, but I think you are. I got into Ross. Okay. And a lot of people say that when you get into Ross, everybody gets into Ross and but half the class fail. So, and it's almost like literally half our class failed. And either they, I did, I, by first semester, by point zero two point. Oh, by the way. shoot. Yeah, right. But anyway, so in our minds, I had to work as hard as I could. So that way I didn't fail again. Right. And you know what I mean? I think we need to put it in people's minds that you're here. You know, you need to learn how to study appropriately. You need to study every single night. It's not like one of these things like an undergrad, I could study the night before a test and get a B and I'd be happy with that. But on, we need to provide the resources for people to study appropriately for them to actually do well and not stress so much about their grades and understand that, look, if you pass, that's good. Because in the end, when you get out of vet school, you don't know anything. No, <laughs> no. You know nothing. Nope. And you learn everything on the job Mm -hmm. and the reality of it. So I don't understand why, obviously, we need schooling and we need the backing, but this is not the reason that people are committing suicide, okay? Well, I I hope not, anyway. Maybe, Maybe there are. 
But like, this is not the main reason. And yes, it's nice to address the problem. It's yeah. not going to solve the problem. And I'm not, uh, yeah, I guess from practicing veterinarians who have committed suicide, I, I don't know. I have no data to back this up, but I'm wager that they didn't put their vet school GPA down as their reason for. Right. No, but I think one of the most important lessons I learned in vet school was that we never stop learning. Mm-hmm. And so I need to tie my identity to becoming a learner. Yes. Not necessarily to getting the right answer. And I learned that from my small animal medicine professor who I did not like small animal med. I wasn't going to do it. So there were all sorts of issues there, but that's what he taught me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I retook that test like eight times and bless his heart. He just told me to keep going back, keep going back. Yeah. But he taught me that it was more important to learn it yes. than to pass it on the test. And so while, yes, pass-fail may not solve the crisis we're having, but if it can at least teach people to shift their mentality to it's more important that you learn. It's more yes. important that you balance life. Take their focus from a freaking grade, yeah. which when we get into practice, it's no longer a grade, but maybe it's whether that dog died or lived. Maybe it's whether or not they got the diagnosis. I mean, that was an extreme pass fail, but you know, maybe they misdiagnosed something. Maybe they didn't do surgery quite right. That's where we feel like we're failing and that suicide comes from. So maybe their thought is, yeah, if we can get them to shift their mindset just about their grades, maybe they can start to shift other ways. I don't know. I think that's a great point. I agree. I think that's a, that is a wonderful point. And I think that's a great way of illustrating, yes, how it does carry over that. It's not really just about the number and the GPA, that it is bigger than that. Like I said, it's a mindset of you're not going to get the A grade. And in real practice, what that means is you're not going to solve it in one exam. You're not going to solve it in one blood test. You're not going to solve it for under a hundred dollars. Like that's the A plus that you think you're going to be the hero in every case. But the reality is you're not. Most of my cases on a day-to-day basis, I'm happy to get a C grade. (laughs) Happy to let the dog walk out there alive. Right. You know, no, I didn't do A plus. No, you don't know what caused it, but you fixed it. Oh yeah. I threw some drugs at it. It got better and hell yeah. (laughs) That's like the A plus grade to me is when the vestibular dog comes in and they, a couple days later, they're fine. That's the easy A. (laughs) Such an easy A. All I had to do was say hello. You look like the hero. (laughs) So let's get on to the next point. Yes. So they talked about the fourth year students and their clinical rotation having established hours. So I just want to, I went to my clinicals at Virginia. I loved it. It was amazing. I kind of, I loved it. It was amazing. Leave it at that. But anyway, we basically had established hours. We had to be in at a certain time and we left. I think it was at five if I remember. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was different, but we left and I had time to go home, shower, change, come back and do ICU if I had to, or if I wanted to get it done, I could. And then if I was on ICU rotation, I stayed. If not, I might have been on call or I might not have been. I don't know if it was just the schooling, but I had a very nice, calm clinical year except for one rotation. And if you really want to see about it, you can see it on our website if you look at the (laughs) honor of mentoring. But I had one rotation that really took me for a loop. I had designated times and I wasn't stressed. I got to go to my niece's baptism. They let me go home early when my niece was born, when we had a huge snowstorm. They were very good to us. So I don't know if my rotations were different than other schools. So I have a question for you though. 
Yeah. Did you feel like that prepared you for real life practice? Do you practice in that same manner now? So my first year out, it was very difficult. But after my first year, yes, because I set boundaries that this is what I can do. And that's it. And a lot of people say to me, you know, how did you get your hours? How did you only work? How do you only work what you work? Like, I don't understand how you got that. And I said, because I set boundaries for myself. Mm-hmm. This is what I can do to be able to come to work four days a week and function like a veterinarian, function like a leader in the hospital because I'm a leader at multiple locations. I basically said I set boundaries for myself and I feel like I had a very lax clinical year. I went in and enjoyed Virginia with the students because the students were phenomenal and they were awesome. And I got to enjoy myself while learning. And in, I think it set myself that I need that mm-hmm. to make myself happy. And I didn't think I had that my first three years of vet school. And I didn't get it till the fourth year. I don't remember. Some rotations were really time demanding and others were not. It just kind of varied on, I don't know. I mean, certain certain rotations like equine, you knew you were going to be, it was going to be hell. But I really enjoyed equine. And at the time I thought I, I was still kind of tracking towards doing equine practice at the time. So I was like, ah, you know, it's, it's where I should be. But then, you know, when I took my ad, my large animal rotation, I took it, I, it was my first rotation fourth year. It was in summer. And it was slow. Like it was a cakewalk because we had really nothing to do. So it, it wasn't that stressful. And anesthesia, internal medicine, I mean, there were some that were more demanding than others. And I did have more more hours than I needed to be there. But I guess I I personally never felt so overwhelmed with my hours my senior year. And part of it, I think I went into it thinking it's supposed to be hard. I'm supposed to be here a lot of hours. Like this is a rite of passage. Like this is, uh, you know, you, you watch the TV shows about Grey's Anatomy and, you know, all these, they romanticize the the struggle of it all. And I guess I felt like if I was putting in a lot of hours, I was supposed to be putting in a lot of hours because I was a fourth year vet student and I had a lot to learn and I was okay with it. And it, it didn't, for me, it didn't bother me that much. And and, I, and it wasn't like every rotation I was there till 10 o'clock at night. I It was a pretty balanced schedule. Like I, I was not so overworked that it was really weighing on me that much. We've had a couple um, fourth year externs stay with, you know, come intern extern with us at the practice. And, and one who was just here most recently with us, she said that she had just come off of, I think it was medicine. They were slammed. Like it was, it was overwhelming and ridiculous. And she said that over the one holiday weekend, they just had emergency after emergency after emergency. And it was just nonstop. And she was there for however many hours straight. And, but she handled it in stride and she was like, yeah, you know, it sucked, but it's the way that it is. And I talked to some ER people now and they're like, yep, that's my reality. Like that is how I practice. So is there something to be said for getting students ready for the real struggles of practice? Because for a majority of veterinarians, that is the reality is that you're going to have long, grueling shifts. So should we prepare ourselves in school with guidance and mentorship to teach us how to deal with that? knowing that it's not the ideal, but there's still going to be times when you have to. So not letting it completely ruin your day, your week, your month. I am not saying that we should normalize to that and we should accept that as normal all the time. That is not what I'm saying. I think we do need to make some big shifts in our profession to set those boundaries, like you said, Maria, to have more control over our schedules. And I think there is a huge area of improvement to do that. But there's going to be days when life sucks. 
Oh, there's always you know? days when life sucks. And even in clinics, like I said, there were two rotations that really took me for a loop. But there's always days that life sucks, you know, but it just shouldn't be every day. No, it should not be every day. You should have better days than worse. Yes. And I think that if we set boundaries for ourselves on what we can handle, mm-hmm. you know, within reason, we'll be happier. I agree with you, Maria, yeah. completely. But then at the same time, like, so I had a similar experience to Melissa. Some rotations sucked. Some, mm-hmm. you might as well sleep on the big blue horse mats. <laughs> Just, yep. Just bring your sleeping bag because you're going to get more sleep. You don't have enough time to drive home and turn around and get back. So, but we had those rotations that sucked and then we had other rotations that didn't. And I liked that balance because, you know, like you're saying, it's some days suck, some days don't, Mm -hmm. right? This is what we feel and we practice. But I'm really glad I had those rotations that really sucked because Mm -hmm. you know why? I had to dig down deep and Mm -hmm. figure out what the heck I was made (laughs) out of Yeah, and figure out if I could bust through and do it or not. And Mm -hmm. it pushed me and it pushed me hard. Yeah. I found out my own boundaries. So you're right, Maria. Like, yes, we need to set boundaries and yes, we need to know, but I took vet school as an opportunity to explore those boundaries. Yep. Explore like how far is too far? Oh, there it was. I passed that line mm-hmm. eight hours ago. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go home and take a nap. That's good. I think if we have students on rotations, maybe I'm wrong. I think if we have students on rotations and they're getting to the point where like, you know what? I, I need, I need a break. We should be able to be like, take the night off and we'll handle it because you're not, it's not like you're the only one there. There's a doctor right. there. You are not a doctor. And right. I think if people are about to break, which I, I saw people about to break. I saw people break, you know, I broke in, not in clinical year, in vet school. And I think at that point, you should be like, take a step back, take the night off. And I think that should be okay. Yeah. And it shouldn't hurt their pass fail or their grade or whatever. You shouldn't be ostracized or yeah. like humiliated or shamed for it. Right. Correct. We had that. Um, I don't know if it was just maybe not every clinician, but um, I felt like um, the majority of the clinicians were like, all right, kid, time out. Yeah, go. You need to stop. And so I don't know, maybe it just depends on the school and the person. I'm sure it does. Yeah. And I know me personally, I had a major family crisis in the middle of one of my ER, like overnight shift weeks, major, like to the point where I had to leave. And they came back and said, you know what? That's life. Pack your stuff. Like I finished that night shift. I was on an airplane four hours later and I was dealing with what I had to deal with. And, you know, I came back and I was like, well, if I have to repeat this rotation, you know, first year with the next class, like I'll do it. I don't care. Just let me walk. Like I'll stay an extra two weeks, you know? Right. 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 Um, And thankfully we, we worked it out, but I mean, they were, they were there for when life really, really got bad. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I think we're all in agreement that like, there needs to be a balance. We need to obtain the balance, but the schools need to also be an understanding that when a student needs that time, mm-hmm. let them have it. Yeah. So the next thing they spoke about was scholarships. They're trying to basically, because they're talking about like the debt to income ratio and the suicide rates, and they're trying to say the scholarships will help with this. I'm going to say I am a 2011 grad. All of my technicians know me very well when I talk about this. (laughs) My entire family and all my friends, you know, even my neighbor down the street who I had a conversation with recently knows about my feelings about this. Scholarships ain't solving the problem. The problem is that vet school costs so friggin' much money. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And I'm sorry because I graduated in 2011. I have someone, one of my friends graduated. God, she's in our second year. She's going to have over 500 
hundred thousand dollars <sighs> in debt, which is why two hundred and twenty thousand more than me when I graduated. Okay, that's ridiculous. And I have over a hundred thousand dollars. Wait, almost two hundred thousand dollars in interest from two thousand and eleven to now, when I did not miss a goddamn payment. Mm. So don't sit there and talk to me about how scholarships are going to fix the freaking problem because that's not the freaking problem. The freaking no. problem is the tuition increase, and it's the freaking government with the eight percent interest and thinks that they can get away with it by making oh you can do incubator payments and pay three hundred thousand dollars in 25 years otherwise the IRS is going to relinquish your pay stuff don't even get me started you think the problem is scholarship this is what pissed me off okay I'm done <laughs> so I got real scared like I don't know if I can ever meet you in person anymore Maria I think I like that you're on the east coast <laughs> dude I read this and I was like are you kidding me I suppose until vet schools pull their heads out of their asses, I guess that's the one option to help <laughs> offset it is. Here's your $5,000 for your $300,000 in debt. Well, yeah, but still $5,000 at an 8% interest rate over how many years? Oh, I mean, you want me to check? I least... think it's about nine grand right now. <laughs> so that's at least nine grand that they're not going to have to pay out. I yeah. granted, yes, it does not fix the problem at all, but at least it's something. That also is a whole show for a whole nother day because that is such a big <laughs> I don't big I'm not gonna be thing. there. I'm phoning in so that <laughs> it will be me complaining the whole Can time. Can we have our guest correspondence? Yeah <laughs> for me that day, please. And none of us disagree. Like if you are in the veterinary profession, you know that this is I I have conversations with my own children. I have conversations with high schoolers and it, they're talking about going to vet school. And I talk to parents of high schoolers who say, oh, my daughter really wants to go to vet school. And I'm like, okay, well, here's what you need to know because start saving money now. As of right now, this is what you're looking at. And they're like, what? Yeah. Like, so not financially feasible for most families at the moment. So, so when that third grader comes to you and says, oh, mommy, I really want to be a veterinarian. You better start saving money right now then and there because it, that's what it's going to take to make it pay for itself. So yes, it is a crisis and something needs to change. And there are teams of people who are working on it and I support those teams and I applaud those teams. And I don't know what the answer is because oh, it's such a big problem, but no, a $5,000 scholarship is just pennies. And I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what the scholarship is. I'm just, <laughs> let me put that out there. It's, it's not going to be yeah. significant enough to really fix the problem. See, I got a SCAVMA scholarship one year because I was SCAVMA president my junior year. So I think I got like a, I don't know, $2,000 scholarship that year, which was amazing. I got a check for $2,000 as a junior vet student. Do you think I put it towards tuition? No, <laughs> no. So nobody's like, oh, you should pay off, like pay down your, you know, your, no, I, I put $2,000 in my checking account. You know, that's what I yeah. did. That $2,000 is not going to do anything to your student loan funding. I still marked the box that said, give me all the student loans. And it'd be like, no, give me 2000 less in student loans. I didn't do that. No, Who no. does that? This is not going to solve the problem. I've spoken to other people about this because we were, I was in a meeting once and we talked about the suicide rate in veterinarians. Mm -hmm. 
And someone was like, what about everybody else in the field? And everybody feels the problems and it weighs heavy on everybody. But the thing is, you can turn and walk away at any point, except when you have this cloud over you stating you have a half a million dollars to pay off. You already don't make enough money to even make the minimum payment. There's no way you can leave this profession. And it's like almost a jail cell that you're put in. And I think this is a, if you want to talk about the suicide in the vet profession and when it all started and how it all started, and we're thinking maybe it has to do with the debt to income ratio. I, because I have been in this field for 18 years, not a vet for 18 years, been in the field for 18 years. And right now I feel constricted. I feel confined. I feel like I have something heavy weighing on me. It almost feels like I'm in a jail cell Mm -hmm. because I love my clients. I love my patients. I put everything I can into my cases, but if I wanted to walk away, I can't. Well, and I think that builds into kind of what we were talking about with schedules and boundaries, you know, and it's really easy to say, oh, just don't. And and I'm guilty of saying this too, because I don't have as much pressure as far as financially in my student loans. Yes, I have some student loans left to pay, but it's it's not overwhelming at this point. Um, So like for me, I have the luxury of kind of saying, no, you know what? I'm going to be gone for half a day today because my kid is, has a dentist appointment and I have to go to the orthodontist and I have to do this. So yeah. Yes, I will have less income if I'm gone for a half of day, but it's not as if I'm going to default on a loan payment. And Mm -hmm. so for those who are in that struggle and are in that reality, yes, we know, we know intellectually that we should be seeing less appointments. We should have breaks in our schedule. We, we know that we should be doing all of these things. We should have wellness breaks. We should walk out of the clinic at five o'clock. But when you're on a pro sal or you are being paid commission for whatever percentage that is, and you know that you have to make a minimum amount to survive, then you're like, nope, I'm going to see one more patient. Nope. Put one more in there. Nope. I need to do that extra surgery. And next thing you know, it's 10 o'clock. You haven't been home. And now you are so far down that tunnel that you, you don't see a way out and you can't win. And that's where burnout comes from. And I've seen doctors do it. They're like, I'll say yes to everything. And they end up having 35 pets a day. And I'm just like, you're going to burn out. But they need to pay their student loans. They need to pay their mortgage. They need to pay daycare. They need to pay this. They need to live. They need to have a car. And it's just like, you can't do it all. Well, and I think that's too why we see so many, I mean, I guess I just think about women because that's what we are. But so many of us that are reaching outside the profession for something else, you know, like some of the MLM, groups and some of that stuff and I think podcasting and us. blogging and <laughs> we're gonna make a million dollars oh yeah because this is a cash cow I'm rolling <laughs> in it okay podcasters aside. Okay. Public service announcement if you're thinking that you're gonna go into podcasting and blogging to make money think again it's like going into vet med to make money <laughs> <laughs> some do So let's go on to the next topic that they addressed in the article. So the next topic they talked about is every six hours, you're supposed to have 30 minutes to basically revitalize yourself. And I think they spoke about yoga in there. (laughs) Yoga stresses me out. Oh, yoga? I love yoga. I'm total yogi. I love it. We should have a yoga class, Anne, and we should (laughs) teach Melissa it. Seriously, can I tell you something? 
Meditation is amazing. But in the middle of six hours when you're dealing with 800,000 things, that's not the time to do it. I enjoy attempting yoga. Attempting. You know, I, I suck at it's it. Practice. It is. Okay, I know. It's the but... meditation version. Like when you meditate and just like everything goes away. <laughs> okay, meditating <laughs> is not yoga, my friend. Yeah. It's my meditation version. <laughs> Okay. See, the overachiever in me is like, I can't hit the pose like the girl on the video or the instructor. And I get mad at myself and I'm like, I'm old and unflexible and I'm going to But you don't have to be something for it. You can do like the, what are they called? Like you the old do... people yoga. <laughs> yes. I, most of it makes you feel better. I fell over and hit the couch today. <laughs> like that's why. And do you do yoga? I do. I do yoga in my living room. Like I Amazon prime that video in no one else except for my children and Kirk. Kirk laughs at me when I do it because I literally like fall over. Wait, can you send me what yoga you do on Amazon prime? Yeah. Can you put it in the show notes as a link for our listeners? Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to poo-poo yoga. I, I see the benefits of yoga. I it's challenging yes, it. for me. It's challenging for me, which means there's a certain amount of stress. Not all stress is bad. It's okay to have stress in our lives. That's fine. But I'm just saying for me, yoga is challenging. So to insert that into the middle of a challenging day is not relaxing. I don't relax during yoga. It was in there as a suggestion. Yeah. But they're basically <laughs> talking about 30 minutes every six hours, which honestly, legally, you're supposed to give somebody. You would give me a margarita during that time. Like that would get rid of my stress. You should do cocktail hour during that time. So we built a new clinic, a new building about, oh gosh, it's been almost three years now, I guess. But during our um, like planning stages, we were coming up with our break room and that kind of thing. And my partner and I, like, we were super close, like really, really close to getting a margarita machine. Why didn't you? Uh, we didn't feel licensing and the premise inspection would be okay with that. Oh. <laughs> no, it's slushies. <laughs> it's just slushies and smoothies. Like, never What's mind the, the tequila, tequila over there for. <laughs> so, this article, we covered a lot of, pro- of issues with the article. We covered a lot of great things with the article. You know, a lot of things need to be changed in this profession. And we're just at the cusp of it. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to the vet schools, it comes down to the bosses, and it comes down to us individually as associates how we can fix it. But we all have to work together to make sure that we're all happy. So I think this is a good time to get into what should we do? Do you want me to reveal my hack today? Okay. So I stole this hack from a lovely Facebook group from actually someone I went to vet school with who is awesome. (laughs) We share the love of Disney, by the way. (laughs) Um, so this hack is actually really interesting to me because I do two locations and one location has some expired meds. I'm one of those people that walked in and I checked every single bottle to make sure that nothing's expired. I'm the pain in the ass that you don't want to come into. Don't come to my practice. Ah, there you go. You should have seen the one I bought. There were drugs in it that were older than me. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm all like, mm, mm, mm. so this is a great clinic hack. Um, what they do is they put colored stickers on the drugs that are expiring that year. Yep, that's a good idea. Awesome. So in 2019, say you have the, you know, those pink, yellow, green little mm-hmm. dot stickers. That you- yep, yep. 
when you get them at the dollar store, stick them on. And every year you use a different color. So when the bottles come in, you just slap it right on there. And then you all have to look at the mom. <laughs> so then you're like, all right, when it's three years expired, then I will actually throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. How many colored stickers are there? Because yeah. I mean, if you only got three colored stickers, just wait. It'll be right back in. Because I'll tell you, in six months when I have some vet medin that's outdated, I'll be like, nope, can't get it anymore. I'm still using this shit. So <laughs> I'm not throwing that I'm stuff away for that. You are not supposed to do that. <laughs> Would you rather have no drugs? Extra drugs. Expiration dates are just suggestions, right? You know? Doesn't the drugs last for like a year after the expiration date? Oh, they don't. They don't know. That's the thing because Longer. so so when you get a new drug approved to the FDA, you have to shelf test it for a certain amount of time to be able to say, look, I developed a new drug. I let it sit on a shelf. I tested it a year later. It was still good. So I know that it's good for this amount of time. Long expiration dates don't really happen too much anymore because nobody is patient enough to let their newly developed drug just sit on a shelf for five or six years because they want to get their FDA approval. So they just randomly stop the expiration process and be like, no, I went 18 months. It was good. All right, push it through the system. Let's get it approved. And that is now the expiration date. That same drug may still be good 10, 15 years from now, but nobody's going to wait 10 or 15 years to get a drug approved. So yeah. that's where expiration dates come from is because nobody is actually quality control, like testing any of these things. There are some, I think maybe is it Interceptor Plus or one of them recently, they extended the um, expiration dates on because mm -hmm. they put it through, they got the approval on it. And then after, I don't know, they had some product like five years later, they did a, a test mm -hmm. on it. Like, Oh, nope, still good. Okay. So then yep. they paid to have it like reapproved through FDA and like, Nope. Yeah. yeah. You can actually add a whole Keep another going. year, year and a half onto the expiration, yeah. whatever it was. So, so the expiration dates are somewhat ambiguous because we don't, we don't, most drugs. Wow. A fly just flew. What was that? A fly. <laughs> on our end i was like melissa you're gonna die <laughs> you will never see that again on dvm diva oh a fly like i crawled across my webcam <laughs> so if you're listening you may want to check us out on our youtube yeah. site at dvm <laughs> but that is my two cents on expiration date yay I love it. Not to, I think that hack is a good idea just to kind of keep you on. I think it's a great idea to keep you on top of your expiration date. Well, and even just inventory management too. Yeah. Yes. And like, even on the sticker, you can write, if it expires like March, 2020, you can write a three. So that way you can be like, oh, I'm going to put this in the back shelf though. It may signal to you whether you're doing inventory management or somebody else is like, okay, I'm not going to reorder a bunch of this product because I have three bottles that are getting ready to outdate what, you know, yeah. whether you bought it when it was on special or promotion or whatever. And yeah. you're like, okay, I obviously didn't use it fast enough and it's now all outdated. Yeah. So it could be just a visual reminder of maybe I don't reorder it right now because I, this bottle expired a year ago. So, or this year or whenever I know for us, sometimes if you use up the last pill in a bottle, like we train our team, like you write it down on the order book or, but if you had a sticker that said, okay, this actually outdated and we didn't go through it fast enough that let's not reorder it just by or order less. Yeah. Like yeah. reflex, like maybe we'll just wait till the next case comes along and, and then reorder it or outsource it to an online pharmacy or whatever. And let's go on to our mom fail, which apparently just happened tonight. All right, Melissa. <laughs> 
earlier, before we started recording, the three of us were just talking, chatting, going over housekeeping stuff for all of our things. And before we hit record, we took a little break and we did all of the things that we needed to do. I needed to go check on my children because bedtime was about the break time. And my husband is out of the house tonight. And so my kids were upstairs and I had given specific instructions that, you know, when nine o'clock hits, you need to be brushing your teeth. You need to be getting in bed. You need to be doing all of these things. Yep. Mom got it. We're doing that. Okay. Walk upstairs. Nobody's in bed. Nobody's brushed their teeth. I'm looking at my middle daughter. And then I looked at her hair and I'm like, Hmm, did you shower? Nope. Were you, should you have showered? Hmm. Yeah. Probably because my children don't bathe voluntarily. That's the culture in our house is that apparently you have to be specifically instructed to go bathe. So my mom fail is that while I was down here chatting and recording and doing all of this, I have unwashed stinky children that will be going to school tomorrow unwashed, unbathed (laughs) because it's not the worst thing. It'll be fine. Oh my God, Melissa, I've done that so many times. <laughs> no, but okay, your your kids are little. And they stink so much worse. Oh, have you smelt a middle schooler? Middle schoolers are bad. They're bad. Hormones are happening. They are. Greasy hair is happening. <laughs> so that That is my mom fail, is that awesome. um, I was down here recording while my children were marinating in their own body odor. And apparently nobody felt the need to voluntarily bathe because I did not specifically instruct them as part of the bedtime process tonight. You all must shower. They just sat there and watched TV and just thought, no, we're good. <sighs> so to their teachers tomorrow and their classmates tomorrow, apologize because none of them are clean. None of them. Oh, man. So let's go over to Anne with the mom win. So my mom win for the week was uh, that we had gone out and run all the errands that you could possibly run. The girls had been really good. So sometimes as we do, uh, we go get coffee and smoothies on the way home. Just a, yay, you guys did a good job. Thanks for being good kiddos. We had a long day. Good job. I appreciate you. So we went and got our smoothies. Deal is, in the car, if you get a smoothie, you don't take the lid off. Well, you know how that goes. Lid came off. Smoothie got dumped all over the inside of my car. So I was kind of frustrated and upset. Uh, But we got home and I said, you know what? Let's turn this around. I need to clean my car. And you guys need to learn that when mommy says, please don't take lids off of smoothies in the car, that there are consequences for your actions when you do what I ask you not to do. So my mom win is that they cleaned my car for me. They each took turns. They took garbage out. We cleaned windows. We cleaned door wells. We cleaned seats. We got out the shampooer. They learned how to run the carpet shampooer. And I have a clean car. And they learned a lesson. And I learned a lesson. So it's a win, win, win all the way around. That was such a great win, Anne. And thank you so much for sharing that. That's going to inspire so many others hearing that story. I absolutely love it. Thanks for joining us on the DVM Diva podcast. We love to hear from you. Contact us on any of our social media platforms. And that would be on Twitter, Instagram, our Facebook page. And even join our Facebook group where we can start the discussion on how to better our profession. So join us next week where we go 
see you on the episode.